under the aisle. <coughs> Well, it's a privilege once again to be here and speak with you. Um, <clears throat> I remember last year after uh, Zach's sabbatical, a good number of people told me how much they enjoyed hearing from the various pastors who, who spoke because they got to know us personally a little bit better, what we believed in, what was important to us, and they also got to know our hearts a little more. Um, we see Zach every week, and so not that we're better, but just that it gives you an opportunity to get to know us a little better. Because I speak only occasionally, I certainly can't do a book study, so I speak what God has put on my heart. This weekend, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at the leper in verses 1 through 3. Now, this comes directly after uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. Verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Immediately his leper was cleansed. Oh, just real quickly. Uh, I'm doing this out of the NIV because one of the scriptures is going to be read out of the Bible, and this is the only large print Bible I have. <laughs> lepers were outcasts, and the only people they lived around were other lepers. I read some, as I was looking at leprosy, I read some uh, commentaries and some various teachings on, on leprosy at that time, and I read a couple things, sayings that rabbis said. One was that when he saw a leper coming his direction, he would throw rocks at him to keep him away. Another rabbi would not buy eggs in the village square if someone with leprosy had walked on that street. Other rabbis would run or hide when they saw a leper. So from these examples, you can see that Lepers were not uh, part of the in crowd. In Jesus' day, when someone got leprosy, basically their life was over. In a sense, they would be ever, forever separated from their family, forever separated from being able to earn a living, and the only people that they could associate with would be other lepers. They went to outside the village to little, I guess you could call them, although they didn't then, leper colonies. Leprosy is a disease that impairs the central nervous system. I read some articles by Dr. Paul Brand, who in his time was the foremost authority on leprosy. And he lived in India for a good number of years. He talked about the the effects of leprosy and how it begins with little red spots called lesions. And they generally start right up here. Then they spread throughout the, the body. And at some point, as it progresses, uh, people become numb. They lose their entire ability to feel anything. He mentioned that he saw many cases where lepers in India in the villages had fallen asleep at night 
And when they woke up in the morning, they were missing a toe or a finger. During the night, the toes or fingers had been bitten off by rats, but they didn't notice it because they couldn't have a sense of feeling. In the Old Testament, leprosy was sometimes given to a person as a judgment for sin. God gave them leprosy as a judgment for their sin. There's three cases of that, but I'm only going to read uh, one. Although we can't know the reasons that God allows disease into our lives, biblical leprosy is a powerful reminder of sin spread and the horrible consequences of it. Like leprosy, it starts out small, but as it spreads to other sins, it can damage our relationship with God and damage our relationship with others as well. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 26. And this is uh, in Elisha's servant becoming leprous. <clears throat> I'm just going to, the entire fifth chapter is about this, uh, but I'm only going to read a couple of verses and then I'll do a little bit of explaining. Verse 26, but Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when this man got down from the chariot to meet you? <clears throat> is this the time to take money or to accept cloves, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, men, save, men servants, or maidservants. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence, and he was leprous, as white as snow. Naaman was a very important man. He was commander of the king's army in Armin. He was greatly respected and looked up to. <clears throat> when he was stricken with leprosy, a servant girl told him that he should go to uh, Israel to be cleansed by the prophet. Well, he goes to the king, and, and when Elisha hears about it, he says, have him come to me. Well, he expected this man to come out and do some hocus-pocus, say some words over him. Elisha didn't even come out. He sent a servant out, and he said, go tell him to wash in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be cleansed. Well, at first, Naaman doesn't like that because, well, aren't my river's better than this? And this, is, this isn't what I expected. But yet his servants talk to him and convince him to go to the Jordan. When he washes seven times, he is cleansed from leprosy. Well, then Naaman comes back to Elisha and he, he'd, brought in, he'd, he'd brought with him uh, gold and silver and I think 10 sets of clothes. And he wanted to give all this to Elisha, but he rejected it. He said, no, just, just go on your way. I don't take anything from you. But his servant, Gehazi, followed Naaman out of town, and he went to him, and he lied to him, and he said, Elisha sent me. God judged Gehazi, and he struck him with leprosy. This is only one example of a person being struck with leprosy in the Old Testament. Moses' sister Miriam would be a, another example, and King Uzziah would be a third example. Back in Jesus' day, which is obviously much later, lepers were unclean and no one would touch a leper. But here in this passage in Matthew, we see Jesus going and touching the leper. 
There are times when Jesus healed at, exist, at a distance. So it makes me think that he didn't need to touch him. There's more to it than just what we can see with our eyes. One example of healing someone that wasn't even present at the time would be the Canaanite woman's daughter. And that's found in, in Matthew uh, chapter 15, verse 21. I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn to it. <clears throat> Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out to us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy, help me. In verse 28, then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed of leprosy at that very hour. Now, back to the passage in Matthew. Jesus touched this leper, even though he was unclean, and he was an outcast, and someone no one else wanted to be around. In fact, lepers were forced to say, unclean, unclean, anytime they came near a, a non-leprous person. If you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus ate in the house of tax collectors and spent time in the house, in the, in the presence of sinners. I'm going to read a, a scripture out of Mark chapter 2. <clears throat> I think it's going to be on the screen. It should be on the screen. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with leper, sinners, with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He cared about those who were looked down upon by the religious establishment. He spent time with people that the religious leaders would not spend time with. Now, there's something worse than physical leprosy, and that's leprosy of the soul. Before you and I gave our lives to Christ, we were lepers, separated from God by our sin, and we were doing our own thing. And just like the lepers were unclean, we were unclean, dead in our sins before Christ. Jesus reached out and touched us. And for most of us, we were initially touched by someone caring about us, by someone telling us about Christ, someone coming and praying with us, someone listening to us, someone inviting us to church. And that happened even when some of us didn't even care about ourselves. Jesus sent people to us. Just like Jesus' healing of the leper, we've been healed and set free from the penalty of sin by Jesus. I never want to forget God's grace in my life. My sin had put me in a condition <clears throat> not much different from the lepers. I was a dropout from society. My addictions to drugs had gone on for so many years that I was losing touch with reality. Without Jesus, my life was meaningless, depressing, lonely, 
and hopeless. I often lived in hotels and motels, and the only people I hung around with were like me or worse than me. I had lost all hope of anything good happening in my life. I was just going through the motions of living. My healing came when I came out of my uncleanliness by coming to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus Christ right here at Hope Chapel, I think in January of 1983. After I received Christ as my Savior, I came to church every time it was open. At that time, I think there were five uh, Sunday... Ralph Moore was still the pastor then. And I think there were five Sunday morning services plus a Sunday night service. So my mind was in such a state that I could start to remember what he had talked about after the fifth service. (laughs) Not proud of it, but it's the truth. Some of you may be able to shake your head and identify. (laughs) I stayed close to Jesus by staying around people Stand around the church, stand around people who are serving God and leaving my association with the addicts and the other people that I hung out with before. And I developed a hunger for the word of God. And in 1986, I got hired here as a steward. Now, that may seem like a menial job to some, but that was one of the biggest turning points in my life. In the 25 years that I've worked here, I have been involved at some point in everything there is to be involved here. The only thing that I haven't been involved in that I know of is the disabled ministry. I have not done that at all. But in some point or other, I've been involved in everything there is to be involved in. And now, partly because of my past, the Lord has led me to a ministry on Crenshaw Boulevard. <clears throat> Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This was an Old Testament prophecy fulfilled by Jesus and quoted by him in Luke 4.18. It applies to me in the sense that God has equipped me and given me a calling to preach good good news to the poor and to the broken to the outcast and to the homeless and to the hopeless. What I received, I'm passing on to those on Crenshaw. We're teaching the word of God to people who are not hearing it anyplace else. We've been ministering out on Crenshaw for three years now. In fact, I think we started in July of 2008. Right now, I'm out on Crenshaw several times a week for one reason or another. We have a, a Thursday night worship service, but I'm out there sometimes visiting Abraham. But I'm out there two, three times a week. I've been looking at different buildings. And when I walk down the street, people say, Hi, Pastor. We missed you last Thursday. I'll be there. I promise to be here this week. Or, Hi, Pastor. How are you doing? What I'm saying is people know me out there. I walk down the street in Hermosa Beach. Nobody knows me and nobody cares. They know me and they know us because they know we care about them and that we don't, and we're coming because of Jesus and because we care, that we're not asking anything of them. 
In our three years on Crenshaw, the ministry has expanded. We are reaching more people and doing more ministry than we did at first. <clears throat> In a minute, I'm going to show some pictures because pictures uh, explain things a lot better than I can explain them. We'll look at where we started, where we are now, and where we hope to go. We can't see pictures of where we hope to go because it's, it's in the future. But I'll tell you about it. When the Lord gave me the thought of doing ministry on Crenshaw, Tim Pitchford and I went out there and we surveyed, we surveyed the street looking for a place where we could give out food, build relationships with people, pray with people. We can put up that first picture of the building. There it is. <clears throat> now, the, all the buildings are right close to the street, so there are no empty lots there. And uh, so that building right there is Behavioral Health Services. We looked in that back of there, and we saw the parking lot, and we saw that's the only place possible where we could do this. So Tim and I met with uh, one of the directors there, and they gave us permission to use their parking lot one time a month for, for our uh, food distribution. Now, I want to show some pictures of uh, the beginning. Yeah, you can keep this as the side of the building, and that's one of the hotels on one side. That's the other one, the Camino on the, on the uh, south side. Okay, now these are pictures. First pictures are some of our outreach during the first few months when we, when we began. That's them, getting, that's them standing in line and getting food. <clears throat> that's arts and crafts. Face painting. Okay. Now, when we started, I had no vision beyond what we were doing. And we were somewhat disorganized, and the amount of people we were serving was maybe 30, 35. Let's show some pictures of the more recent. We bought um, these canopies to shade people from the sun and the rain as well. And you can see there's a large crowd there. That's the second picture of that. Uh, this is our worship team. The lady in the white, that's Shirley. Shirley came to me after we'd been doing this, I don't know, four or five, six months, and she said, oh, would you like to have worship out there? I said, oh, I never thought about it, but yeah. And she and Maggie have been with us doing worship for at least two years now, over two years now. Go ahead, next picture. There's Bobby. Bobby comes out there. Sometimes she writes uh, scripts for the puppets, and she sings uh, songs, solo songs. We have a puppet ministry that comes um, almost once a month. And it's funny how well the people, they're mostly adults, but how much they listen to the puppets. <laughs> they pay attention. This right picture right here, is a picture of people coming forward when we did an altar call. We explained the gospel as clearly as possible. 
And I, I even say some, some of you may have accepted Christ five or six times, but your life hasn't changed. Do not come forward unless you're serious about repenting of your sins and turning your life around and giving it to Jesus. That lady right there on the right, <clears throat> this is somehow how I got involved in knowing about Crunch in the first place. When I uh, worked back here in Hope and Action, in about 91 or 92, she came with her husband, and I built a relationship with them. And uh, a couple times they got in contact with me and asked me to come visit them, and they lived in, in one of those motels. And when I went in the motel, it's got a big courtyard. Uh, people are standing up on the top all around there. They're calling me by name. Uh, that surprised me. But then I remembered, oh, that's why they know me, because they'd been here for food before. Now, um, her husband I'm still in contact with. In fact, they got divorced. I, I did the marriage ceremony for he and his his wife now last year, and they have uh, he has a house full of kids, and he he works for Pastor Deborah's brother. He's a a contractor in construction. He's been working for Pastor Deborah's brother for about 15 years. I I just told her brother about him at a men's retreat back in about I don't know 90 something. And he said, "Yeah, have him call me." And he hired him just on the phone. And he's second in command over there now. Go ahead, next next picture. Go ahead. We give out clothing, and that's very popular. There's uh, we, we've bought bought tables, and this is a picture of the people eating. Uh, Jane and a whole bunch of people cook a meal. It's amazing. <clears throat> I get there early, and people from the various Bible studies and pla- places will come and drop off food. Many of them won't even stay. So sometimes we have as many as fourteen, fifteen people providing the food for this for this outreach. <clears throat> we start each time about um, 1230 or so in prayer. And as you can see, we generally get somewhere between 25 and 40 volunteers. That's our serving team and cooks. Okay. When this ministry, excuse me, when this ministry had been going on close to a year, Tim and I started thinking about it and talking about it. We thought there has to be a next step to this. So we started at that same house, behavioral health services. We were able to rent a room, and we now we have a, a, a worship service here. You want to start the pictures for that? That's the building, same building. And that's the room that we, that we uh, rent from them. And this is some pictures of when we started. We had, always had a worship team. Now, we started out in a circle here, and as you can see, there aren't that many people. I still remember the first week we had this. There were about 14 people from Hope Chapel, and there was one individual from the motels. We'd announced it the week before at our, at our Saturday outreach, but only one person showed up. Go ahead. There's another picture of the, the same thing. The lady on the left uh, has six children. She lived on the street just east of uh, Crenshaw Boulevard. And Sherry told me, the bookstore manager, that she and her husband lived, had a house on that street. Well, her husband left her with the six kids 
And now she lives in the motel. Uh, and Hector uh, knows she and the children because he, he has taught the children in one of the schools that he works at. The kids are always clean. She's always uh, polite and respectful. And by the grace of God, she's not on the inner court of the motel anymore. It's pretty rough in there. There's people dealing drugs. And on the outside, facing International House of Pancake, they have one bedroom. So she was able to move out there, and it's much safer. And the kids even leave the door open now, and they play outside, which they they never left the, the room before. Go ahead. Okay, that was uh, some of our pictures from the beginning. And now we're going to show a few pictures of our outreach more, more currently. Um, after we'd been doing this six or seven months, decided to move it from doing it like a mini church to doing it like a church service. That's, I think, Valentine up there doing worship. And um, all these pictures are at least a year old. We started teaching the book of John. We spent 14 or 15 months just on the book of John. Next picture. There's Russell. There's stories I could tell you about every one of these people. Thank you. You know, nothing surprises me. You can turn the lights back up. Nothing surprises me out there on Crenshaw Boulevard. About a month ago, on a Thursday, I was preparing to go out there for our Thursday night Bible study, and I got a text from a lady that lives out there who I know, and I know her husband. She said, can you have Rosalie come and pick me up? I'm leaving so-and-so because he's beating me. We'd heard rumors of this before, but uh, this was she herself asking to be removed. She had a two-year-old son. So we didn't go out right then and pick her up, but we all went out and we did our worship service. Ken was there. Helped us, helped us get her out. After the worship service, uh, we took two vans, Valentine's and Rosalie's, and we parked it behind the Camino. And six or seven of us went to the door and knocked. And when we knocked, she answered the door. We moved she and the two-year-old baby and all their possessions out. He, he was passed out the whole time. And one of the families from our group took her into their house, and she lives there till this day. So it's more than just going and talking. It's getting involved in people's lives and be willing to, to give away uh, our lives. One of the pictures you saw, and I, I'm not going to go back and look at it. This lady last week was, was homeless. Her husband was in jail. And uh, another couple from our group uh, went back there Thursday night and, and paid for a week week's lodging for her. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the Samaritans were a mixed breed, half Jew and half Gentile. <clears throat> the Assyrians had taken them into captivity, uh, all the northern tribes, in 727 B.C., and they were rejected by the Jews because they were half-breeds. So they set up their own, their own temple and their own worship services. This didn't uh, make their relationship with the Jews any stronger. It made, it made them hate them worse. So intense was the dislike of the Samaritans that some of the Pharisees prayed that no Samaritan would be raised at the resurrection. When his enemies wanted to call Jesus an insulting name, they would call him a Samaritan. <clears throat> this came out of the Bible Exposition Commentary, Volume 1. When we're told to go on into all the world, this means we're to reach out to people that are different than us, different ethnic groups, different social status, different economic status, different education. What we're doing on Crenshaw is reaching out to people who, for the most part, have little or no education and next to, next to none, next to zero life skills. Jesus told us to go and be his witnesses. And although this is not the worst area in all L.A. County, it's Samaria in a way that we're ministering to and dealing with people who are different from us and different than we would normally associate with here in the church. I believe this is the Lord's calling on my life. The reaching out is also something that we should all be aware of and thinking about, not only on Crenshaw. You don't need to go to a foreign country to be a missionary. There are plenty of neglected people groups right here in California. When I began to put this message together, I thought we had a building, and I was all excited. Uh, you can show that picture of, of the liquor store. Uh, it's been for lease for, for years now, and uh, my wife and I, Rosalie, and I were able to go out there and, and walk through it with the property management team. <clears throat> Size-wise, the building right on the left is a bar, so you're... Uh, Size-wise, it was perfect. <clears throat> I was all excited. Pastor Dale wrote a lease proposal. I thought we'd sign the lease the next day, get the keys. By Friday, we could start remodeling. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. I was forced to call the city of Gardena. And they said, oh, for a church, you need a conditional use permit. Now, for a liquor store or a market or a clothing store, you don't need a conditional use permit. But for a church, they want $4,000 to get a conditional use permit. And that's a hearing. You have no guarantee you're going get to get approved for that conditional use permit, if, even if you apply for it. See those two cars? Those are the only two parking places we have. Two doors to the left is a church, and I'm going to talk about that church in a minute. So, and they said, you can't even use the building until you have that conditional use permit hearing, and that will take 60 to 90 days. So that, that wasn't uh, a happy day for me. But something happened Friday <coughs> that um, put a new light on this entire thing because we've been looking for a building with Zach's saying, go for it, 
uh, for about six months now. I've been walked up and down Crenshaw Boulevard. I've prayed over every building. I've <coughs> Thursday or Friday, I met with a, a lady who owns a whole, the whole corner of Crenshaw Marine. And she's showing me this and she's showing me that. We looked at a clothing store. She said, you can take half of this. She was willing to do it, but she talked to the proprietor of the, of the, the clothing store and they weren't willing. Well, uh, Friday afternoon, I got a call from the lady who pastors the church two doors uh, north of this. I know her, Pastor Vivian. Um, in fact, I spoke over there when they did a, an appreciation uh, service for her a couple of years ago. Um, her pastor husband died almost three years ago. He had a heart problem, and he went to India for treatment, and he, he didn't make it. She was going to close the church, but because of the women in the church, they begged her to keep it going. So she's been keeping it going. And the reason she's been keeping it going is because they asked her, and the only way she's funded it was by running the church out six days a week. Um, she called me Friday afternoon, and she said, I got your letter. Pastor Dale had us send her a letter because she wasn't answering my phone calls. She said, and I've been thinking about you. Our church is now open Sunday morning, Monday night, and Friday night. I mean, she's not saying just take it. She's saying, would you be interested in leasing it? I'm not sure what's going to happen, but Rosalie and I feel like this is God's calling. We've been thinking about this and praying about this for a long time. One of the things, you don't have to get a conditional use permit. It's already got one. You don't have to remodel. The church is already there. Um, she wanted, She said, well, I'd like to start August 1st. Not, not going to happen. If it happens at all, it's, it's not going to happen August 1st. Um, but that's where we are right now. Um, This is a transitional year for me. <clears throat> the plan is to lease a building or buy a building or something and for me to transition from here over to there. The more I do there, the less time I'll spend here. At the age of 66, I'll no longer be employed by Hope Chapel. I'm not 66 yet. I'm 65. But next year, when this would come to pass, I'd be 66 years old. So I'd leave the Hope Chapel staff and beginning a new phase in my life. Retirement from ministry is not something I ever want to do as long as I can talk, stand, and think. If the Lord puts this ministry on your heart, there are many ways that you can help. One that I didn't even write here is if we went over there and started doing services, I don't want to be the only one there. I don't sing that well. <laughs> the most important way is prayer. Psalm 127.1. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Our desire is to minister to the people and for the Lord to bring transformation to the people who live or hang out on Crenshaw Boulevard. We can go, but just going is nothing. Unless the Lord moves on people's hearts, it's going to be a futile effort. 
It can only occur because the Lord touches lives. Finances are also needed. Everything associated with the Crenshaw ministry comes out of a designated fund. On the offering, and, and people have been giving to this, this ministry. On the offering uh, envelope, just under special offering, they've just put Crenshaw and the amount of money they want to give. <clears throat> when we're able to acquire a building, uh, our expenses will increase from hundreds per month to thousands per month. When we, when we get a building, we want to minister to the whole person. If it was just to go out there and do a service, I wouldn't be interested at my age. We want to minister to the whole person. And one of the things we're looking for is to, uh, <clears throat> as the need arises, have literacy classes. We'll need someone who is skilled in teaching literacy to help train and teach those who can't read or read very poorly and who have a desire for change. We also want to be able to have tutoring available. A lady told me Friday night that she knows a, a friend of hers has a Spanish church in Hawthorne, and he's tutoring kids all the way from the Bay Area to Lenox, and he's looking for other churches uh, to get involved. And he's doing a lot of it with a grant that he got, I think, for $40,000. <clears> so there's money available. We want to have... Uh, at some point, parenting classes. We also want to have biblically-based um, program for those really wanting to get free from drugs and alcohol. Because of the nature of the ministry, <clears throat> it may never be self-supporting. So we're looking for someone who knows how to write grants. Now, right now, I don't know that we'd apply or, or be eligible for any grants, but getting in there and getting some of these um, necessary things like literacy and tutoring going would make us eligible for grants. So we're looking for someone who has the ability to, to write grants. And if the Lord would it really allow this ministry, I don't have a vision for a lot of things, but I certainly have a vision for Crenshaw Boulevard. If the Lord allows this ministry to prosper, we may even at some point have a, a, a facility that could house some people I'm not sure at this point whether it would be battered women, whether it would be single mothers, whether it would be a rehab program for people breaking free from drugs or alcohol. And the other thing, at one point, it would be nice if we could open a business where we could employ some of the people that are really, their lives are changing. As I got to know the people who live here personally on our Thursday night worship service, the Lord opened my eyes to the many needs that they had above and beyond what I would have been aware of. Without having knowledge of these needs, I wouldn't even be interested in taking on this challenge at my age. We were all once lepers separated from God by a life of sin. And now the Lord has given us the ability to touch others who are lost and hopeless and have a desperate need for Jesus in their life. Some of you may have a burden in your heart for some other people group. If that's so, I encourage you to go for it. This message was a challenge to me because it's um, so personal. If you're interested in <clears throat> getting involved, you can talk to Tim Pitchford or myself or call me. One of the things that I didn't mention those things, some of you may have visions, ideas 
way above anything that I've thought of. So I want to hear them. In closing, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. In closing, I want to urge all of you to look for a way that you can involve yourself in the community outside your church. For some of you, it may be a subculture like Crenshaw. For others, it may be a, a, a group of people who have similar interest or similar type of work skills. Our ministry is not only here in the church, but it's in Samaria as well. Amen? We pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. I thank you for our church, that we are a group of people that care about people besides our own. Lord, I pray more and more we'd be people who depend upon you and are more willing to give of ourselves to others, the lost, the hopeless. I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We bless you, Lord, God.